Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And tonight, on my 33rd episode, I have two outstanding head coaches and even better friends, Mr. Chris Johnson and Stefan Hirsch. What's going on, fellas? How's it going, Gies? going man thank you guys for being on kind of an impromptu uh decision to, to do a podcast with you two and, and talk about uh, some college football today mostly talking about the natty and what's going on in college football so excited to get going with that and uh yeah let's let's get rolling guys i released a video last week on my 2021 qbs from big air just kind of highlighting their work in the camps and trying to sell the business obviously but also promote those guys and whatnot so kind of cool chris you had uh a pretty phenomenal JV quarterback this year at Vincent Massey, Winnipeg, Chris Petrowski. I'm interested. Uh, what can you tell me about your QB from this past season? What were his strengths? I know that he played a little bit of defense as well. So can you tell me about your QB? Yeah, so Chris Petrowski, our quarterback at uh, Vincent Massey for the JV team, uh, did play both sides of the ball. He uh, came into um, the season in uh, in 2021 with primary experience playing defensive back a lot of safety and then also had some uh, some experience playing receiver was my understanding but had never played quarterback before he is a very naturally gifted athlete uh one of those guys that just falls out of bed in the morning and just kind of oozes physical talent so to speak he um caught on to playing the position to be quite candid with you very quickly he's a very very smart football player he takes football very seriously so um as far as making himself or allowing himself to be coachable, he he bought into what we were doing and to what the coaches were trying to teach him right from, you know, the earliest, you know, part of the process that really went back to, I guess, essentially the spring when we were working on, uh, you know, putting together a potential flag football team that ended up getting postponed until summer. Um, but it did get going in the summer and, uh, and he did play, uh, quarterback for uh, uh, one of the flag teams that we had in Crow Prep, and he did very well there. Um, so that was a nice jumping off point for him. And uh, from there, he um, he obviously continued to work very, very hard and um, went into the season as our starting quarterback and our starting safety. And uh, to be honest with you, I've, I've never really had a situation like that in, in the years that I've been a head coach or even an assistant coach where I've had a quarterback start on both sides of the ball for the entirety of the season. The fact that um, he was such a big part of our offense and defense, running the football on offense and throwing the football, uh, and then defensively playing a huge role in our pass coverage and you know stepping up to stop the run and making so many tackles, he showed you know, physical endurance, intelligence, leadership. To be honest with you, I could probably just go on and on and on for the entire podcast saying nice things about the kid. Um, he's he's the real deal. He's the full package. Certainly one of the top junior varsity players I've ever had the privilege of working with. From the limited action that I saw him play this year a couple of times versus Oak Park, looked like a phenomenal athlete. You guys are running a lot of read option with him and that kind of thing, using his legs. Obviously, that was a little bit more of his strength. But, uh, you know, moving forward, I know he's going to be a pretty studly defensive back and, and and whatnot for the varsity team. Steph, kind of to talk about your guy, Carter Kutzen, I was uh, out at the Rifles inner squad this summer, you know, before your season had started. And uh, there's this QB out there. I, I showed up a few minutes late and 
the game kind of gets going. And there's this QB out there that, you know, he throws two balls and makes two plays that literally nobody else could have made in that game. And I remember coming away, I was like, who is that guy? And, uh, you know, I, I found out later it was Carter Kutzen. Um, how did uh, how did you end up getting him as your QB for uh, your Eastside Majors team? Um, you know, and, and what did you like about working with him? Can you keep him for another year? <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Um, yeah, I Carter is just, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Like, he's got all the tools. Um, he's got he's got a brain for it. But more than anything, to me, it's he's got a, a fearless mentality, right? And, and uh, he's kind of, the last time you had me on the show, we talked a lot about Brett Favre and kind of that swashbuckler that he's mm-hmm. got that moxie, like, I've never had a quarterback kind of in that mold that had the the personality to uh, really go out there and and play without fear and and have the tools to back it up as well. Carter is the full package, real deal, um, and and guys gravitate to him. Uh, to get him was 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 a huge deal, and and um, because of who he is, we were able to bring other players into the program, which was kind of a big deal for us. So um, hoping to have him back. We've had great talks. Um, it's um, early in the off season, so a lot of things can change. But being able to continue to work and continue to to live at home and um, be around your support systems, I think, is a huge factor for for a lot of guys who end up in our league. And and uh, Carter's no different. Um, he absolutely has the tools and the ability to go on and do other things. Um, and that may be something he entertains, but we have a great relationship and, and I'm planning to have him back and, and looking to build things around him and, you know, sky's the limit for our program. That's outstanding. Yeah. Hopefully you can keep him for another year and keep building on what you uh, were able to accomplish this year. We'll get into that in a minute, but coach Johnston, I want to talk about your season. Obviously, you're the head coach of the JV Vincent Massey team here in Winnipeg, have been for a number of years. Talk about your season this year and, and you know, let me know uh, you know, how cool it was for the varsity team to win to win the title and what does that do for your program overall? 2021 was a very interesting year as I'm sure, you know, both of you know yeah. uh, as coaches. I mean, things, you know, were uh, we're different. We had to kind of think outside the box a little bit, I guess, as coaches and uh, and do things a little bit differently because our seasons were highly compressed. The high school season, we weren't given the go-ahead to start practicing until after school started, which obviously is quite abnormal. Normally, we'd have, you know, a couple weeks of training camp before the kids get into classes in September and, and potentially have an exhibition game in there. All things considered, you know, from a, from a head coach's standpoint, I considered us to be basically five to six weeks behind where we normally would have been at the start of the season, having missed out on uh, three weeks of spring camp and then two weeks of training camp and then starting the regular season late. Uh, the junior varsity teams this year only got a four-game regular season, whereas we normally get six. And so everything was very, very compressed. Our, our players were definitely pushed to mature a lot faster than they normally would be. And I think in in a lot of ways, they, they did that um, on probably like the same pace that our, our past teams normally have. We, uh, we did peak late in the season and, uh, and, and we played very, very well down the stretch. It was uh, a bit of a tough year, uh, you know, in the sense of the schedule being more compressed. We, um, 
you know, we, we played some very, very tough opponents, some, some teams that had some, you know, high level of talent. Uh, like, honestly, I felt like, and I relayed to our coaches as the season went on, like I felt like 2021 was an excellent year talent wise for all of the junior varsity teams. We, uh, we had the, you know, the, the privilege of playing Oak Park twice this year, once in exhibition and once during the regular season. And they had a fantastic junior varsity team. And uh, Dakota was a very strong, very fast team, very athletic. Uh, Grant Park was very big, very physical football team. St. Paul's, as always, very well coached, uh, great quality depth at all their positions, just a smart, intelligent football team. You know, I, I always you know, expect them to be, to be well coached. So yeah, it was, it was a good season in the sense that the competition was really, really steep. We, um, we weren't, you know, in a situation, unfortunately, where we, um, you know, put up as many wins as we would have liked to. We played a lot of opponents really tough in a lot of games and we were quite close in a lot of games. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, our, our competition was, was better in a lot of weeks. And, um, you know what, honestly, from a coaching staff standpoint, we just used that as a learning process. You know, it was, we, we as a coaching staff had an opportunity to kind of look internally at ourselves and look at our athletes every single week. And we used it as an opportunity to learn, to grow, um, to focus on, um, you know, areas where, you know, we felt we were deficient and to try to improve the team the best we could. I, I really felt in a lot of ways, like our, coaches our, our coaching staff might have done their best that they've ever done coaching in practice uh day in and day out that they've ever done uh to date i've had the privilege of having the the same coaching staff uh for the most part for a number of years now and uh and they're great coaches and they do a great job but the adversity that we face this year um really pushed those guys to i think a whole nother level and uh you know, despite the fact the wins and losses didn't quite materialize the way the way we wanted them to, I think our, our coaches did a fantastic job coaching. So in the end, we, we ended up playing um, Dakota in the semifinal, who was the eventual champion mm-hmm. in the JV League. And uh, I felt like we played them very tight throughout the course of the game. We were very physical. We were a much better version of ourselves uh, in the semifinal than we were when we played Dakota during the regular season. Um, so I was actually very happy. I was happy with the team's growth and I was happy with the work that was put in. And uh, I honestly think that this group of players, um, this you know 2021 JV group is going to provide an excellent foundation for the varsity team in, in upcoming years. As far as our program itself was concerned, it was it was a fantastic year. Obviously, our, our varsity team played very well. Um, you know, they they only had one loss during the regular season, uh, and that was to Grant Park, who obviously was a fantastic football team themselves. And it was a very close and exciting game that went right down to the wire. I think it was yeah. in week two or three. And then uh, our varsity team just kind of continued to get better. That was kind of the story of their season from my perspective. They just continued to improve week in and week out, building momentum. Um, I felt like they did all the right things in the sense that they they looked to the strengths of their team uh, and they played to those strengths. So do, their yeah. defense was absolutely fantastic. Um, they uh, they weren't, and I, and I don't mean this in any kind of a negative way to, to any player, but I, I didn't really consider the defense to be um, you know, a star-studded defense. It was more of a kind of, you know, bring your lunch pail to work, blue collar, you know, everybody contributes for in order to, for them to have success kind of defense. And, uh, and you know what, they, 
they took that mentality very seriously, you know, from what I saw. And uh, at the end of the day, they were, in my eyes, the best defense in the WHSFL this year. I mean, they, they, for the most part, dominated against every opponent defensively all year. And offensively, the team was, uh, you know, very strong on the offensive line. They played to those strengths with, uh, you know, creating some good schemes to protect the quarterback and allow, you know, their quick passing game to uh, basically move the chains throughout the course of many of the games they played in. And uh, that big offensive line did a phenomenal job of opening up holes for the running game, both for the the tailback and for the quarterback and at times the receivers too. So they kind of got everybody involved on offense and uh, again, not really necessarily leaning on any one individual. They just kind of did it as a, as a team mentality. And uh, it was, uh, it was really great to see a very large percentage of the the players on this year's varsity team, you know, played in our JV program in 2019. And um, I absolutely love that group of kids. All our coaches did. I mean, at the end of the year, we raved about their intelligence and their character and their work ethic. And, um, it was really special uh, from my perspective, um, personally, to see a group of players that I, you know, was so passionate about. And I just, I loved them so much to see them several years later, especially after the adversity in 2020 and losing a football season and, you know, losing all that, you know, all those opportunities to prepare uh, for what was eventually going to be their senior year. Um, to have them play as well as they did in 2021 and grow and as, as a team and perform at the level that they did and, and beat an undefeated Grant Park team uh, in the championship game, I think that's easily one of the most special moments in our program's history by far. Um, those, uh, those guys are they're going to have some stories to tell uh, at alumni events in the future that are going to be pretty amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be pretty special, uh, you know, from a program perspective to look back on on the memories from from this year and that varsity team. It's uh, it's a pretty great group of guys, that's for sure. A phenomenal group of guys. Uh, you know, obviously, me, I, I coached against them this year, and Everett Reed is a phenom, and Luke Thalman is a stud quarterback. You're right; they had a big old line. Seju in the backfield. I think going to the power eye for Coach McKay was the smartest decision. I know that, like, he's you know, tried to, you know, expand his offense and does at times. But I think really hanging his hat on the power eye with that group was so smart. They wore you down. And and that's what I believe that he coaches the best. He elaborates on that on that system and, and kind of grows with that. But those guys fit that system perfect and, and it was enough to win. And to be honest, I'm gonna say this. I know I know you guys will probably keep your opinions to yourselves, but uh Grand Park had it coming. They were overconfident and cocky all year long and they got what was coming to them. I was happy for your program and, and happy for those guys and happy for Coach McKay. I was happy to, to to see them win, there's no doubt. And I mean, you're certainly right. I mean, Everett Reed was a phenomenal player for uh, our varsity team this year. I mean, he filled every possible role that a player could fill playing receiver, defensive back. He was kicker kick returner um i mean from my perspective like hands down you know the best player in the winnipeg high school football league this year like as far as overall football players are concerned like he's just the absolute complete package and you know and you know what the the quarterback luke fallman um honestly like cerebral calm intelligent football player 
Um, he's a coach on the field. He's a leader. You honestly couldn't have done what they did as a varsity team without him specifically leading the offense and, and leading that team internally as the quarterback. I mean, he, uh, he just has all the right qualities as a football player. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. And just speaking of that, when we played him, I was watching Coach McKay, you know, try and uh, relay the plays in. And for me to try and get some kind of tell on what they were doing. And there was like times where I think Luke was calling the plays at the line of scrimmage. Like there was no communication going on. He literally called the plays. Like it speaks to his intelligence, obviously. Steph, let's talk about uh, your first season as a head coach, being the Eastside Eagles majors head coach. Uh, you kind of took that role on late. What was, uh, what was most rewarding about being a head coach? What were maybe some of the things that were struggles? And, and talk about your season a little bit. Very challenging. I think Chris kind of summarized the season that that yeah. was for for football in Manitoba. I, I mean, yeah, adversity was the name of the game, and and uh, you know, for myself personally, coming in late, other teams were already practicing as I was just being named and mm-hmm. trying to figure out who was coming back and and trying to to bring in guys and uh, very very hectic uh, period of time. And with that said definitely the most rewarding personal season coaching just being able to to um, piece together a staff um, and a team uh, in your vision and and have a final say um, I've always kind of been in a supportive role and you know I, I give my opinion but the final say is somebody else's in, in, in most cases and to be able to see through some of the yeah, thoughts and ideas that I had towards practice planning and scheduling and, you know, fitness, game plans, everything. I mean, it, it, the the buck stops at you and, and you're the face of the program and you're responsible and, and have to answer for everything. And that's that's a challenge. And you don't really know what you're getting into until you actually do it. And I think uh, as a coordinator, you think, you know, but until you you take that leap, and put yourself out there like that, you you don't truly know. And um, it was it was an awesome experience. And, and you know, to summarize our season, I mean, um, given what I just said about all the adversity we had and, and a little bit more than maybe some other teams in our league, um, just with, you know, me coming in so late um, into the fold, we progressively got better and better and better. And I, I truly, we made the final. Uh, we lost. Uh, we, we came within two points um, before, you know, uh, St. Patel kind of took it away in the fourth quarter and, and put it, put the game away. But um, it was a very, very intense competitive game. And super proud of how we performed. Uh, we were by far the youngest team in the league. We were starting on defense. I think uh, at one point we started five 18 year olds wow. in a league that was playing 23 and 24 year olds. Right. So um, to be able to, build on the foundations of what we wanted to do as a team and to grow and develop and see the group come together to be able to uh, go and compete in that game uh, was was amazing. I, I truly believe that if we had a normal season, we were just kind of hitting stride. We would have been uh, the team to reckon with down the stretch had we had a full season. And, and um, I'm truthfully really, really excited to be back and bring these guys together and, and we ended on such a positive note and now it's about keeping that momentum going. So super excited.
Back at it for second quarter action with Coach Chris Johnston, Stefan Hirsch, and Coach Gies. And guys, uh, I want to talk about all these coaching changes that's happening in the NCAA. There have been a lot of movement in the last month or so, a lot of big guys, big names moving out, moving to new jobs, some some guys that uh, have been working hard at other programs, getting big jobs. Steph, which coaching change do you think has the most impact on the dynamics of, of college football right now? Um, I think the biggest one is is probably Lincoln Riley to USC, leaving Oklahoma. Uh, USC, I mean, everybody kind of like everyone our age anyways, remembers the Pete Carroll era and, and dominating college football landscape. And, um, you know, since then have, have kind of, you know, gone downhill a little bit. And, and uh, that kind of mirrors what had happened with Pac-12 and, and to get Lincoln coming over into L.A., which is a, a huge recruiting you know, uh, base uh, for for uh, high school sports and high school football. Um, it is it, it it has the potential to um, bring the Pac-12 up and, and USC back and, and put them in major bowl games again, which they haven't been in in a while. You know, that's that's going to be huge as far as you know the totality of college football. There are other really good signings elsewhere and. You know, Brian Kelly, it was a huge splash with LSU and mm-hmm. um, a few other guys. Uh, Billy Napier, obviously, with, with Florida, we were talking about him in just prior to, to shooting this segment. And so there, there's a lot of really good hires. We'll see how they play out. But I think Lincoln's going to be the one that that has the, the biggest potential to make a huge splash. Yeah, I would agree with that. And obviously, he's being, you know, paid the farm to go there, getting the 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 team jet, the school jet to uh, go wherever he wants to go. And, and yeah, it sounds pretty, pretty crazy, but pretty cool at the same time. Uh, Chris, what do you think about uh, coach Deion Sanders, coach prime getting the number one recruit in Travis Hunter? What does that say about the program he's building at Jackson state university? Well, I think it, it says a lot about the staff that he hired for starters, coach prime coach Sanders has put together uh you know, an incredible coaching staff there. So I think right off the bat, I think that, you know, filling out a staff with guys that are, you know, top level coaches at their respective positions and as coordinators, um, I think that's the foundation for showing recruits that, you know, if you go there, you're going to, you're going to be given the tools to then move on to the next level. Right. So he's got an elite level staff there. He um, obviously himself, he's a very charismatic guy. He's, he's a great leader. I think he's a well-spoken guy. I think he obviously knows the game at, at all levels. I mean, he was obviously an amazing athlete and a great NFL player, but I think he's a very smart person. He's been around the game for a long time. He was heavily involved in youth football before he was involved in, you know, college football. So I think he's, you know, he's basically set the tone as being a well-known commodity as, as far as, you know, coaching and leadership is concerned. And, um, I think the fact that they they got the consensus number one overall recruit for this cycle is is huge for their program. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen year in and year out. I'm going to assume that this young man is probably a fantastic fit for their program. I'm sure Travis Hunter, you know, saw a lot of things in the program that worked for him, and I think that's great. I don't know if we're necessarily going to see that, you know, being the case every single year, but um, I think it's it's fantastic that. In this case, the young man, you know, found a fit that was good for him. And, you know, uh, obviously, I hope like academically and athletically, you know, things go really well for him there. I think athletically, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. So um, that that just kind of 
I, I just, I don't see him not having success, um, to be quite honest with you. Right. And, uh, I'm sure that in the future, whether it's through the transfer portal or whether it's through uh, junior college, what have you, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, guys like him, players on his level, I mean, they, uh, you know, they're going to draw other, uh, you know, other great athletes to them, right? And I think obviously being, uh, you know, a number one recruit as a DB to play for probably the best DB ever, right? Totally makes sense, right? So he he obviously wants to go to the show and he wants to be with the guy that that did it at the best level, the highest level. and and learn from the best, right? So that, that totally makes sense. Steph, what are your thoughts on Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams entering the transfer portal? What do you think is maybe the best landing spot for him? That, that one was a shock. It was, I, I think um, there's a lot of ripple effect going on in Oklahoma right now with, with Lincoln going to USC. And um, there's a lot of Oklahoma players, particularly on the offensive side, because Lincoln was uh, the OC there. And uh, well, head coach and OC, but a lot of guys have entered into the portal and, and Caleb's the next one. And um, for somebody, I don't think we've ever seen this in, in college football, like um, to this magnitude in the sense of Caleb Williams supplanted a Heisman favorite right. at quarterback, yeah. right? Like he, he supplanted Spencer Rattler and, and was the guy and he closed out the season as a true freshman. And, you know, 2020 in the States, you know, uh, or, um, you know, that high school season for them uh, was a little all over the place too with COVID as well. Right. And, and so nobody expected a, a true freshman to come in and, and perform for a major program at that level. Um, so for him to put his name into the portal is, is quite shocking uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Best landing spots. I think the obvious one that I think everybody's, thinking is is going to be Lincoln Riley and USC that mm-hmm. they already have a relationship he knows the offense I think, think that one would be a huge fit I don't think he, he hasn't ruled going uh, uh ruled out going back to Oklahoma um but they just brought in Dylan Gabriel so right. I you know and their new OC there had coached Dylan before so um to me it seems like they moved on so uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the best fit anymore um, but there's talk at Georgia, um, there's, um, Auburn, uh, a few, few other teams. Uh, I mean, everybody's probably, it, it, yeah. I think he's going to be the most coveted recruit ever, at least through the portal. As far as those names being talked about, I think Auburn's probably the best fit. I mean, it's an SEC team run a pro style offense. That's kind of the big selling feature for, for their coach. And, and that school is, um, you know, comes from the, a real strong background in, in a pro style, very translatable offense to the NFL. Right. And I don't know if NIL and, and name image and likeness is playing that much. Obviously there's going to be a part of that in his decision, right? Mm-hmm. You only have so many opportunities to capitalize on those sorts of things. But I think truly from what I've been reading and seeing is he's really looking for the right fit to get him to the next level. And his development is at the, the forefront of his decision making. And I, I think that's going to be appealing to him. Speaking of name, image, and likeness, NIL, you know, it's obviously having a huge impact on the, on the NCAA as a whole. A lot of guys entering the transfer portal. Chris, what do you think about this in terms of how it affects the landscape of college football? Do you think it's good for the athletes? Do you see any potential issues or downfalls that could come from this? I think there's positives and negatives to it. I think that obviously name, image, and likeness in principle is a very good thing for the athlete. I think, you know, the athletes 
you know, it, it's their name, it's their image, it's their likeness, right? But why shouldn't they have the opportunity to be able to capitalize from a monetary standpoint uh, on that? I think that in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small percentage of athletes at the Division One level uh, that are actually genuinely benefiting from a monetary standpoint. I think that we we hear on, you know, sports talk radio and on ESPN and, you know, various other media outlets, you know, they talk about the, the top players. And I think as, as fans of consumers of the game, we kind of get it into our heads that this is a larger percentage of the players that potentially benefit from this than, than is, you yeah, know, actually the case. But for those guys that can benefit from it, I say all the power to them. To the NCAA, I say get your act together and put some guidelines yeah. in uh, for this because I think that, um, it's kind of the wild west out there right now, you know, uh, there, there's no rules and regulations to it. And I, I think that that's, uh, well, that was and, and still kind of currently is at the moment a huge mistake on the part of the NCAA. They, they need to get their act together and they need to, uh, you know, create some boundaries for these kids and, you know, for the, for the people that are potentially involved in offering up these NIL deals. You know, I just heard, um, I think it was, two days ago, Caleb Williams, right? Like, you know, there's a, an offer put out just solely on social media into the public forum. Hey, come to, I think it was Eastern Washington University, come to Eastern Washington University and we'll give you a million dollars for one season, wow. right? Just put out there. I can't remember, Steph, do you recall who was, who was the, the gentleman that put that out there? Pittsburgh Steelers, Charlie Batch, baby. Right, Charlie Batch, that's who it was. Yeah, Eastern, Eastern Michigan. So he's, he, I think it's it's through you know, one of his businesses or something. Yeah, he's an alumnus. And, you know, so he put that out there on social media. And to me, you know, I, I find that shocking. And, and you know what, as a, as a coach, like I, I, I don't agree with that. Like I don't agree with, you know, the idea of throwing money at athletes to get their services. I have no problem with athletes going to a university to try to earn an education and to be part of the football culture at that school and with the intention of learning from great coaches and becoming a better football player and enhancing their opportunity to maybe play professional football. I mean, we do, again, have to keep in mind that it's less than 2% uh, of the players that play Division One football uh, are, are going to the NFL, right? So it's a very low percentage of guys, but I have no problem with guys under those pretenses going to a school and doing that. And then because of their performance there and because of the notoriety that they gain at the school and the popularity that they gain, having the opportunity to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness and make some money, right, for their family. Like, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. But the idea of giving money to an athlete to get them to go play somewhere, it, it just to me, I, I just don't agree with that. Um, I think there there should be parameters put around this and, and potentially rules against stuff like that. I, I just, I don't agree with that. I, I did think, though, that there were some bright spots to NIL this year. Like, there were some players that that managed to secure some NIL deals. And uh, and they were doing some great things with it. Like, there, there were some people that were, you know, um, that were putting their NIL money towards like charitable causes, for example. And I thought that was fantastic. Like, you know, athletes that their school was paid for, they didn't feel that like financially speaking, um, they needed the money uh, in a sense, you know, so they turned around and, and they put their, their money towards charitable causes and they were, you know, putting money uh, kind of in a, in a philanthropic, you know, context towards 
building homes for people that didn't have them or, or, you know, giving, giving needy folks, you know, things that they need to, to better their lives. And, uh, you know what, I, I just, I thought that was fantastic. Like that was, you know, hearing stories like that, those were, those were situations that made me feel really good personally. Um, as far as the transfer portal is concerned, I think in principle, allowing an athlete to be able to seek out a different, uh, a different school in, in particular for academic reasons, you know, if things aren't working out academically, if they're not getting into programs, academic programs that they want to get into, uh, seeking out different schools. Uh, I think that's fantastic, you know, that they should have that opportunity. I've always loved the idea of graduate transfers being able to move on, you know, to other schools. So I think that I guess what I'm driving at is that there's some positives to this. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I also see the negatives. And the negatives are that there's more people, more more young athletes in the transfer portal than ever before. Uh, the percentage of those young athletes, in particular, the ones that are freshmen, sophomore, you know, aged athletes um, that are entering the transfer portal and then finding a school is actually really low. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of these, a lot of these young men are leaving programs where they have, at least in that given year, a secured scholarship, um, and they're they're moving on into the transfer portal. They're they're essentially losing their scholarship as a result of that, or the opportunity to get their scholarship back. I fear personally that a lot of these young athletes are are giving up the opportunity to potentially get their college degree because if they don't land with another university, they could end up not attending school at all. And uh, I think that that should be the number one priority, really, at the end of the day, is that these athletes should be using their skills as an athlete to help support themselves in getting an education, not just seeking you know, the best opportunity for them to get on the field and play football, because it's not specifically about playing football. It's about getting an education and being a student athlete and kind of playing a role in, you know, the the fabric of that university or that school that you're at. So I think when they enter the transfer portal and they potentially give up that opportunity, their coach moves on. They don't get interest from other programs the way they think they're going to get them because maybe those coaches are, are they're, they're busy. They're focused on the next recruiting cycle. They're focused on guys that are in junior college. They're focused on guys that are, you know, coming out of high school. Right. Um, so I think uh, that's a, a sad negative side effect is, you know, we could end up at least at the moment with, uh, you know, kind of like a generation of, of young athletes that, you know, were, were certainly good enough to play college football, but through decisions of their own, ended up, you know, finding their way out of school and kind of out of the opportunity to succeed and get an education. Yeah, man, you made a lot of good points there. there there's a lot to it, a lot going on around the scenes in terms of those decisions and how that impacts the players. Steph, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, I, I kind of echo Chris's thoughts here, right? Like the student is really getting lost in the student athlete nowadays. And um, not to say that it, in the huge juggernaut of college football and, and the money that's out there, you know, the t- TV deals and things like that, that that never was the case, but it, it's kind of throwing fuel on the fire, if you will. And mm-hmm. and my concerns are, are, are similar to Chris's is like, it's going to really benefit you know, in combination with NIL and, and um, you know, some student educational reasons, maybe scheme fit football wise, things like that, like that one time transfer will benefit the top end of, of mm-hmm. the guys we're talking about. Right. But there's this whole host of other guys that, you know, might be have somebody in their ear or um, might make a decision, you know, 
an emotional decision rather than a rational decision, right? The season didn't go the way that they thought they would. They didn't have the success or the immediate success that they they had hoped they would committing to this program or this coach. And um, they're going to make some some rash decisions and, and they might not end up in a better situation uh, from that. Um, I do think one thing that I'm hearing right now is like, these college programs, like Chris alluded to, to them, you know, they're they're moving on. They're they're already recruiting the next cycle. They're mm-hmm. recruiting a JUCO. They're so now now you're recruiting transfers, right? Like these big time schools are recruiting in stars from other programs now. Mm-hmm. Like the Alabamas, the rich are going to get richer, right? Yeah. I talked about Jameer Gibbs uh, before we got on in, into taping here, and he's already you know he's able to practice with them in the new year at Alabama and, and he's, he's legitimately might be the best running back for, for 2023 NFL draft. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's, there's a few at that class is amazing uh, at that position, but for Alabama to go and then secure him, right. That takes a scholarship off the table from high school guy coming in. Right. And, and so it changes the landscape and for, for the college coaches, it's, it's, you either evolve or you repeat, right? Because if you're not happy with the successes of this year, you need to evolve and get better and what have you. And and that's part of the, the evolution of what those programs have to go through now. We're going to see a lot more high school guys coming out and probably, I think, benefiting immediately, maybe in, in um, you know, other programs, not the high-end programs, mm-hmm. right? Maybe, maybe it's going to benefit Division Two or um f um fcs rather than fbs right Right. and and those guys i i think some parameters need like ncaa needs to step up chris is right it's the wild wild west right now i don't know like it kind of seems like maybe it's a two-year scholarship thing right you get a two-year scholarship you're not guaranteed the last two years right who knows right Uh, i just there needs to be solutions because it's uh, it's going to negatively impact a lot of people in their futures. Back at it for third quarter action with Geese Johnstone and Hirsch. So, gentlemen, uh, obviously, national championship is being played this Monday night coming up against uh, Juggernaut Alabama. They're playing Georgia, so it's going to be a pretty cool matchup. Chris, what's uh, you're a big Bama fan. You were bandwagon jumper a number of years ago. Talk about quarterback Bryce Young. What what do you like about him, and, and what does he need to do in the game to get a dub? Oh, that bandwagon comment hurts. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess the Florida fans got to get in their shots yeah. where they can. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so Bryce Young uh, obviously uh, had a fantastic season. What does he have to do to – find success in the uh, national championship game. I think he just needs to do what he's been doing all year. I think he needs to be a great leader, which he has appeared to be from the get-go. I think he needs to be a great, smart, and instinctual football player. Again, something he's done all year. He uh, he seems to do a great job of navigating the pocket and getting the ball out at times very quickly and efficiently, and at other times using his feet to create time for himself and, uh, and find an open receiver you know, down either, you know, down the field, stretching the field or, you know, over the middle. 
whatever it may be. Um, but he's, in my eyes, uh, just a great decision maker. He improvises very well on the fly. So, you know, in situations where teams bring pressure, you know, and the pocket collapses and he's forced to, you know, kind of create a play and move around, uh, he seems to do a good job of uh, creating space with his feet and, you know, creating opportunities for him to throw the ball, you know, versus just, say, tucking and running. At the end of the day, He's, he's a football player, you know what I mean? Yes, he's a quarterback, but, you know, I would certainly call him a football player in the truest sense uh, in that he, he has the ability to, you know, to will his team to win, to just make plays almost any time type of situation and, and at times in very unorthodox circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just finds a way to get the ball to a player who can make a play or continue to make a play. And uh, I think his team honestly feeds off of that. I think his O-line, the more plays he's making, his O-line plays better. You know, his running backs run harder. His receivers are more in tune and, you know, they're running crisper routes, right? The defense rallies around what he does. I mean, we're, we're talking about a program that's, you know, coached by, in my eyes, the, the greatest head coach ever at the college level. So, I mean... I think they'll come in with a great game plan and he'll stick to that game plan and he'll make plays when he has to. And um, yeah, I think he'll find tons of success on Monday night. Steph, talk about Georgia and they have, they have two QBs and sort of a little, maybe not a controversy, but a little bit of a QB battle back and forth there. How do you see that kind of unfolding through the game? Do you think they both end up seeing action? It depends on how the game goes, to be honest. I think, um, I think Kirby really has a lot of confidence in you know Stetson and and uh, him being being the guy to run his offense and you know r- run it without turnovers right and and that's yeah, really he they've kind of hung their hat on their defense this year and and said you know they're the they're the star and and we're we're not going to turn over the ball and we're going to play clean football and and that's how we're going to win games is is we're we're going to we're going to put up points but it, we're we're going to make make the other team beat us. And um, flip side, JT Daniels, you know, he, everybody was expecting him to come in because he, he really had an awesome bowl game last year, Mm -hmm. put up some big numbers and threw a lot of TDs. And um, he's, he's a little bit more of kind of how Chris described with, uh, um, with Alabama's QB, Bryce Young, in in the sense of um, he's able to create plays um, where there wouldn't have been a, you know, a play to be made, right? And and with that, however, with JT is turnovers, he hasn't been able to stay healthy either. And, and that's why he didn't, you know, start out out the gate as the guy. Those kind of factors kind of put Stetson in the lead. And, and he just, when you have the team that Georgia has, Kirby just, you know, I think in a lot of ways played it safe and stayed with him. So if the game starts going Alabama's way and it starts to get a lot more, um, you know, they start to get ahead, maybe we see JT kind of come in. Um, you know, it, 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 it's hard to say, right? Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't see, I don't see it as a situation where you're going to see two guys split series, things like that. It, it's going to be, we're going to roll with the guy that, that got us there and, if things aren't going to plan, then we have this very capable playmaker that we can throw in to give us a change of pace. And, and we've seen it in national title games, right? Alabama and Tua coming in yeah. um, and, uh, you know, rising to the occasion and, and leading Bama to, to a national championship, right? So there's something to be said about the unknown of the backup sometimes. So 
you can only you can't prepare for everything so yeah, it'll be interesting it definitely will be interesting now guys let's talk about the head coaches obviously kirby smart worked for nick saban for a number of years they know each other really well they've competed against each other now as head coaches for a few years you know do you think there's a level of, of mind games schematically and kind of what they're doing uh you know with them knowing each other so well chris what do you think i i think there's probably a certain amount of that i think that both coaches know each other very well i think that uh kirby smart is he's designed his team in a way and is running his program similar to alabama in the early days yeah and so i guess in theory nick is going to know uh, uh you know how that's done because he did it right i mean in you know in 2008 2009 2010 right i mean like those those are the teams the alabama teams that come to mind when i think of georgia in 2021 mm. i think there's there's a little bit of mind games there uh to a certain extent uh i think probably in both cases both coaches are going to try to create some some wrinkles in in what they do offensively defensively and in special teams because they know that the other opponent is very well aware of what they do and how to prepare for what they do. But I also think at the end of the day, there's there's probably a lot to be said for just simply staying the course. I mean, you've done things a certain way for the entire season. Um, I don't think you really need to deviate from that in either case. Uh, Georgia has been phenomenal on defense and has played very well on offense, um, despite what the critics might say of them at times. Um, you know, Alabama played extremely well on defense and, you know, offensively has been, has been very dynamic. I mean, they certainly received their share of criticism with regards to their O-line and their running game. I think sometimes, you know, that was somewhat deserved. I think at other times it was a little bit blown out of proportion personally. Um, you know, when I hear people criticizing, you know, their O-line and their running game, uh, when they're, when they're starting running back rushes for like over 140 yards, um, I have a tendency to roll my eyes a little bit because, you know, what do you, what exactly do you expect here? You know, is, you know, is 200 yards rushing the, the standard for not being criticized, right? Um, but I think in the case of both teams, they're really, really healthy right now, as is normally the case at this time of year. So I think it's probably going to provide for uh, the best overall situation from, uh, from you know, a, a gameplay standpoint. I'm hoping that it's going to be an exciting game and, you know, um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, similarly to 2018, uh, Alabama, you know, gets the upper hand and wins. And, and Steph, what do you think is like the more intriguing matchup in this game? Do you think it's Bama's O versus Georgia's D, or or the opposite? Is it the the Georgia O versus the Bama D? Where do you where do you think that the game's gonna kind of be won and lost? I think the story is gonna be the 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 latter, not the former, right? I think. Uh, if we, you talk about like each team and, and what they do well, I think everybody will point to, you know, Alabama's offense and Georgia's defense. And mm -hmm. those are the headliners. It's the opposite where the, the games can be won. Can Georgia's offense step up and go toe to toe and match Alabama in their scoring? Right. That to me is going to be the more interesting matchup to see. Can they can they continue their ascension? Can they successfully get one over on on Nick Saban and, and the Crimson Tide and avenge their loss in the SEC championship? Right. Because if if uh, they win, I mean, Alabama might not be even in in uh, in this conversation right now. Right. Maybe they're not in the top four um, and, and don't get a bowl selection. So it'll be interesting. I. Um, 
really looking forward to a good game. I hope it's close. I hope it's tight. I think uh, we're going to see some some awesome football and awesome football players. So, do you have a looking score? forward to it. Do you have a score prediction, Coach? I can't bet against Saban and uh, going against a disciple, right? Like it's it's um, that program's just keeps on reloading, and I I don't think the depth is there for Georgia just yet. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. No, 33-20, 33-21, something like that. How about you, bandwagon jumper? Is it a hundred to nothing? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, I, I honestly, I think it's it's probably, you know what, I, I, I don't think that Georgia's defense, as good as they are, I don't think they can contain Alabama's offense. And and I, I would probably guess at a score or something to the effect of 42 to 24. You know, I think that... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the the Alabama offense is probably going to be a little bit too much, and uh, I think that you know Georgia's Georgia's offense is designed to you know play from uh, from ahead, and I don't think they'll be able to do that. And um, I think the, one of the biggest stories of the game is probably going to be the Georgia offensive line against the uh, the Bama defensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bama pass rush is unbelievable, and. Uh, I think if Stetson Bennett is put in a situation where he's got to throw the ball, you know, a lot in order to play from behind or to catch up from behind, I think he could potentially be in trouble. Not not really because it's like his fault or that he's deficient. I just think that Alabama pass rush is really good. And I think the Georgia O-line is good at what they do. But I think, you know, pass blocking isn't really their strength. I think they're a better run blocking O-line. So uh, I think that, you know, put in that situation, um, you know, it, it could work very much against Georgia. Back at it for fourth quarter action with head coaches Chris Johnston and Stefan Hirsch. Gentlemen, uh, big signings this week for the Bombers. They re-signed Jeff Coat, Jefferson, Hardrick. Um, I'm not sure if there's anybody else, but uh, Stefan, who do you think, in your opinion, the, needs to be next? Who, who do the Bombers need to to make sure that they're re-signing right away to keep the keep the the team rolling? Two players come to mind, and they're and they're both leaders in their on their respective sides of the ball uh caleros obviously um you know it's a quarterback league he was the best quarterback last year he was the mop he he's the guy offensively um but big hill on defense um him he he sets the tone this team is really uh rooted in that defense and and they they the energy and uh, the passion that the team plays with really comes from the physicality and, and uh, um, you know, he's a big part of that. I, I think the the team really changed when he came over mm-hmm. and, and signed with Winnipeg and, and that's really when the ball started rolling and, and uh, to lose him, uh, I feel we'd regress. So I, I think those two, but I'm kind of leaning more with with uh, Big Hill. Both are super important, obviously, and and run both sides of the ball. So I'm with you on that. Uh, Chris, oh, Levi Mitchell today, I believe, restructured his deal with the Stamps. Uh, What kind of impact does that have on the other CFL QBs that are either looking for for new places to go and sign new contracts or to re-sign where they're at? How do you think it affects the the money that they're going to make? Do you think that some of these guys are realizing that, you know, post-COVID, that the contracts are just not going to be as big? 
Well, I think that, you know, in a, in a league that, you know, lost an entire season to COVID, obviously, you know, finances were, were very affected by that. I believe that salaries were affected kind of across the board in 2021 to a, to a certain extent. And yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, it sends a few different messages, right? I mean, obviously it, it sends a message, I think, from his standpoint of, uh, you know, a certain amount of humility. And he had a, a bit of an up and down year from the standpoint of, you know, uh, of injuries and, you know, on-field production. Um, and, uh, I think he's still a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's, uh, from what I hear, a phenomenal person. And I think he's uh, a massive component to what Calgary is going to be doing in the future. So him resigning, I was really, really excited about that for Calgary. I think that, um, you know, he was smart in the sense that, you know, he realized that it can't all be him though. You know, he, he needs to uh, sure there's money available so that he can have receivers to throw the ball to or so that they can sign offensive linemen to protect him or defensive players to, you know, obviously, you know, keep the, uh, you know, the opposing offense off the field. Right. So right. Um, I think he's probably just a smart, mature player at this point in his career. And, and he just probably felt that that was what was best for the organization and kind of created the best situation for them to win. As far as the impact that it has on quarterbacks around the league, I think that, you know, there's there's always going to be, you know, uh, you know, an opportunity to pay a quarterback a lot of money, uh, especially for for teams that, you know, don't have them. Right. So, I mean, if you're you're in a situation where you need a player, whether it's a quarterback or another position, you're probably going to pay a premium to make sure that you get one of the best, if not the best free agents on the market. Um, And I think that in some cases, you know, when it comes to player retention, if you're a phenomenal player and there's a chance that you could leave your team, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's still going to be situations where, you know, ownership, you know, potentially throws big money at, uh, at quarterbacks. But I think it does. I think it does send a message, you know, to the league and no different than, I mean, it, it, it always sent a, a message to the league when guys like Tom Brady took pay cuts in order for, you know, New England to bolster their roster and keep other players, you know, on the roster back in New England's heyday, right? Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it does send, a, you know, an important message to, to the team, to the league, to everybody, right? You know, like most professional football leagues, they're quarterback-driven leagues, right? And, but the, it's not the end-all be-all at the same time, right? I mean, like, I think the Bombers, as good as Caleros is, you know, the Bombers have showed that a team approach won them two consecutive great cups, yeah. right? And uh, yes, Claros has made plays and done great things. But as we saw in the most recent great cup, he also made some big mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, mistakes that could have under different circumstances even caught them the game. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that they had such an incredibly strong team defensively, special teams, you know, and, you know, on offense, as far as the O-line and the run game was concerned and, and having clutch receivers, um, you know, they, they, from a team perspective, they put together, you know, just a tremendous team performance and, you know, and kind of willed themselves to a victory. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that Bo Levi Mitchell did the right thing. And I think Calgary did the right thing in the sense of working with him on that. Um, I think it, uh, it's probably going to make the West that much more competitive because Calgary is going to have more cap room to sign more talent. Be interesting again, like with Caleros, hopefully they are able to re-sign him here. Uh, I'm, I'm interested kind of in his contract the most, like he's already taken a little bit of a pay cut. Then he becomes the MOP. He wins another great cup. Like 
he's probably going to want some big money. His career, you know, I don't know, I can't re- recall how old he is at this point, but he's probably looking for some decent coin. So I'm interested in how that unfolds and maybe some of the other guys. I know Mike Riley is rumored to maybe be thinking about hanging him up and becoming a firefighter, I heard, and, and we'll see what happens with him. But, uh, you know, switching gears here, guys, there's been a lot of action in the NFL in the last week, week and a half or so. Um Sadly, we lost John Madden. Also, we lost Dan Reeves. Big Ben played his last home game for the Steelers, potentially. Antonio Brown wigged out and did his thing. Uh, And that story just keeps on going. Like, guys, like, starting with Madden, you know, what do you remember about Madden? What do you you think about his passing? And, And mainly, what do you think his legacy is to the game of football in the NFL? For me, I felt like John Madden made football fun. Yeah, I just loved listening to him talk. He was a great football mind. There was no doubt about that. But he also was a character and, you know, was, you know, downright comedic at times yeah. with, uh, you know, the, the way he would describe things and talk about things. Like, uh, I, I don't honestly remember the game at all, but I, I do distinctly remember uh, one situation where he was asked to uh, describe how, um, how I guess, the, the league or statisticians kind of uh, tabulate the quarterback rating. You know, and, you know, his his incredibly kind of simplistic way that he approached it, you know, and he's like, well, you know, I mean, this is obviously not an exact quote, but it was something to the effect of, well, you know, when you when you throw the ball, you complete passes and sometimes you don't complete passes. And if you complete more than you don't complete and those completions result in a lot of yards and sometimes there's touchdowns. Well, you're going to have a high quarterback. (laughs) It was just, it was just absolutely priceless to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And, and like, that's something that for me, like that'll always like, that'll always resonate in my mind. And every time I look at image of John Madden, you know, that's something that I'm going to see. Uh, Honestly, I, whenever I think of John Madden, I also think about a great football coach, you know, a guy that for a really long time held the record for best, uh, best overall coaching average Mm -hmm. in NFL history, right. And in the time that, that he was a coach for the Raiders. And I think he was also, uh, to my knowledge, anyway, a very, very much a, a beloved coach by his players and uh, traveled around the country, whether he was a commentator, a football personality, a coach, whatever kind of role he played in his life. And my perception of it was he just, he made people smile. He made people's lives better. He was just one of those people that like, honestly, like I'm personally sad that I never actually got to see him at a live speaking engagement and I never got to, you know, to meet him, maybe not overly realistic, but you know, had I ever had the opportunity, it certainly would have been a, you know, kind of one of those bucket list things. And uh, um, it's, it's sad to lose him because, you know, for me, when it came to, NFL football, something that, you know, I've certainly been a a big fan of for a long time. Um, John Madden, Al Michaels, Chris Berman, like those are, those are kind of like the kings of commentary, like the Mm -hmm. kings of sports broadcasting kind of in my eyes. It's, it's really, really sad to to lose somebody like that because he was a, he was a treasure. That's for sure. Absolutely. Steph, what are you, what are you going to miss about Madden? You know, I think his ability to connect with people is is, is unmatched, right? And and he came across so authentic, mm-hmm. um, and he was unapologetically himself in only the way John Madden can be, right? right. And and Chris alluded to to uh, his storytelling ability, and mm-hmm. you know his 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 way of you know 
breaking things down and and yeah it it it's um can be simplistic at times and 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 what have you but um the NFL lost somebody that that you know pioneered video games and yeah. brought brought it like brought football into the hands of more young people than anybody else in NFL history right mm-hmm. i I remember growing up, learning football, watching, you know, games on Sunday, playing Madden with my buddies and uh, learn learning the ins and outs of uh, what makes this game great and Mm -hmm. his ability to to relay that and and make it fun and appealing and provide interesting stories of his ability to to remember and uh, stories about this person and that person and bring them in and, and make it entertaining and relatable is is special truly was absolutely i was just watching a little bit of a special today on him and a little tribute they had on the nfl channel kind of reiterating your guys's uh comments about just how he made things funny and simple he was uh he he obviously loved nate newton right nate newton was one of his faves red far was one of his faves but he's talking about nate newton and he's like okay so as a lineman the you know you get out of your stance and you block 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 and then you pull up your pants (laughs) 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 and he's showing nate newton and sure enough nate newton destroys the guy in front of him and then has to pull up his pants <laughs> just like funny moments like that there's another one where there was like a bug on the screen and he's talking about how the fly is like got the best the best uh outlook on the game and it's just like stupid <laughs> stupid little things like that that just made me laugh and made me think about him so you know pretty cool but uh yeah obviously huge with the madden game uh, all of us played madden me and chris i know we had many wars in, in madden over the years and create all your your, your engage eight defense all the time come on <laughs> but uh yeah sad, sad to lose him and he's such a pioneer steph you're a cleveland browns fan big ben has kind of destroyed you guys for 20 years or so uh his his last home game what, what do you think about that what do you think about or you're probably pretty happy i would assume no love loss here. Uh, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy to see the backside of him. He he's kind of owned us, uh, but you know, there's a healthy respect there, right? I mean, as any any team or any fan of a team that that's looking at those above them, um, you have to respect how teams, you know, can consistently win. And and Pittsburgh has been a consistent winner. Tomlin, I think it. Uh, NFL record 15 straight years yeah. with without a losing record, which is amazing, right? And mm-hmm. Big Ben was a huge part of that, and and uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, albeit uh, uh, I hate to say it, um, not not a huge fan of uh, of the black and gold, but uh, hats off to him uh, and uh, what a, an amazing career, right? I, I actually was hoping. Browns would draft him but he was actually a guy like as I was finishing football he was obviously kind of I think that was the year right Chris in 2004 we stopped playing ball and that was when he was first drafted in the NFL and he instantly became my favorite quarterback not that I was anything like him but I sort of looked like him we were like these big doppelganger quarterbacks he was obviously a much better athlete than I ever was but uh you know I I started to like him at that point and and really kind of that and I'll speak to my bandwagon jumping that's kind of when I became a Steelers fan real hardcore was was with Ben so I'm gonna miss him obviously He's got the checkered past that everybody always brings up and whether those things are true or not, nobody really knows. And 
and whatever. You know, it's been, uh, I think, over a decade since he's had to deal with any of those issues, and people still sort of hold that against him. But I think he's a tremendous quarterback, and uh, I'm going to be sad to miss him. Chris, what do you think about, uh, about Ben retiring? Well, I think you uh, you brought up kind of a fun fact that I really hadn't thought of, at least not recently or whatever, and that's just like the correlation between us you know, finishing our playing careers in relation to him kind of starting up in the NFL. I think it's really cool in any situation where a fan, you have the opportunity to see the entirety of somebody's career. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's a really a special thing. Um, so the fact that, you know, uh, all three of us had the opportunity to kind of enjoy his entire career. I mean, even, you know, Steph could probably say that, you know, he was a guy that you probably kind of love to hate in the sense that I'm sure you had a healthy respect for, you know, how talented he was. Right. So he was, he was a winner, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he he was, he was a winner through and through. He, He just one of those guys that, could you know always find a way to to kind of create some magic for for his team you know he was uh um in some ways i mean i i obviously like physically somewhat of a different player but like i i kind of likened him at times in his career to like a brett Favre. Yeah. you know what i mean like just he always found a way to kind of make magic and it didn't always look pretty mm-hmm. but he he made it happen and he was you know just a guy that could could win like I certainly wouldn't bet against him. That's for sure. No. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think he, he always seemed like a guy that, you know, like his teammates seemed to really like him. And I mean, you look at the Steelers have had pretty awesome run of, uh, of quarterback talent. So, you know, when, when you can play for a franchise like that and, and stand out as one of the, the one of the best they've ever had. I think that's pretty incredible. You know, the one thing I will say is like, I, I kind of wish that he would have pulled the plug a couple years ago the, the last couple of years have been hard to watch at times. He has his moments, right? And and last week was mm-hmm. a good example of that. But I, I kind of, I was saying this to my dad the other day that it's like, it's like when Hulk Hogan was so old and past his prime and you'd watch, you'd watch his matches and it, they were just terrible, but it was Hogan. So you loved them. You know, that's kind of how I felt with Big Ben. It was like just a struggle watching him out there. He's just an old archaic version of himself. And, you know, some people today, the young kids today don't know how athletic Ben was and how he kind of revolutionized the game and breaking the pocket and extending plays. Like people don't know that. Right. And And like you said, because of our age and, and where we're at, we were able to see his whole career and see all that. So we know what kind of QB he was. <laughs> Switching gears again on the most craziest thing ever with the Antonio Brown doing jumping jacks and running off the field and throwing his equipment and whatever. And, and the stories that have came since then, I don't know if you guys are aware, but obviously he uh, was, I think it was yesterday, he was talking smack about Tom Brady, a guy that you know essentially saved Antonio Brown's career twice, had him live with him. And he's talking smack about Brady. Uh, then today or yesterday came out about the the porn star that he had the Saturday night before the game. And she's releasing the videos that they made together and, and making fun of how fast he is on the field and in the bedroom. So that's pretty hilarious. Uh, what what are you guys' thoughts on Antonio Brown? Like, what what is going on in that guy's head? Does he ever play in the NFL again? I, it, in my opinion, uh, not that it really, I guess, matters as far as the NFL is concerned, but uh, uh, I would say no. I think he's done. Um, and I don't, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're looking at a pretty complex situation here. I mean, I think we're, we're looking at a guy that in my, in my eyes, you know, is, is suffering from, you know, mental health issues. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not maybe as quick as others to just arbitrarily blame it on CTE or a specific hit that he took against the Bengals in a specific year and things of that nature. Uh, I think uh, mental health is a lot more complex than that, personally. Um, I don't think sustaining heavy hits on the football field helps that, but I would venture, I guess, an uneducated guess that he may very well have had um, a certain level of unpredictable behavior or possibly, you know, you know, pre-existing mental health issues kind of, you know, uh, going a long way back. But I think I think we are dealing with mental health issues here. So, I mean, I think respectful people, you know, uh, realize that that you can't just judge somebody on their actions when maybe some aspects of their actions are a little bit outside their control. That being said, I think that there's a history of behavior here that goes back a fair ways. Um, At the very least, you could call a certain amount of his behavior historically very immature uh, or lacking of common sense in a lot of cases is probably how I would look at it. And, uh, you know, things have seemingly gotten worse in recent years, whether you want to say that you know, he's doing some of this stuff uh, purely because of, you know, mental health issues or whether it's attention-seeking behavior and he's just simply trying to draw attention to himself. I don't know. I, I do very much look down on, you know, people speaking ill of their teammates and kind of airing dirty laundry from the locker room in public. I, I'm not a fan of, like, negativity on social media, even though there seems to be, you know, more negativity than anything on social media, but I, I, you know, it's a huge pet peeve of mine. And so when I see people, you know, kind of going to social media or going into interviews and, you know, speaking ill of teammates and, you know, saying things like, you know, the, you know, that guy's only my friend because I make him look good or, you know, however things are phrased. Right. I think that's ridiculous. I think football is the ultimate team sport. Uh, I say that proudly and I'll never stop saying that. I love a lot of sports. um, And I think, you know, all team sports are great, but I do really think that football is the ultimate team sport. And I don't think that any team, any football team will win just arbitrarily because of any one person. Uh, but at the same time, I got an awful lot of respect for Tom Brady and every quarterback that has ever played the position at basically any level, because it's an extremely unique position. And, you know, you are on an island at times and, you know what, like everybody does rely on you to to perform at a certain level in order to make the offense tick. So, um, you know, while I don't think that whether we're talking about the Patriots or the Buccaneers, I don't think that, you know, any of those Super Bowl victories came specifically because of him. Um, I still think he played a huge role in it. And I think he's a great player and I think he's got some special intangible qualities that he was born with, some of which he's kind of worked on and improved over the years. And, uh, um, I think for somebody to, you know, to kind of call them out after the fact, I, I just think it's, it's petty, it's ignorant. Um, I, I just don't have any patience for it. And, it, you know, it kind of reduces any sort of empathy that I would have had for him yeah. um, and ever mental health issues he might be struggling with personally. Um, my empathy is kind of reduced to almost nothing when I hear, you know, him go on tirades about, about teammates and, and, and speaking ill of teammates and, you know, um, just, I I think we live in a world right now where we just need a lot more positivity. I know that sounds idealistic, but, you know, I think we need a lot less divisive behavior, and I think we need a lot more positivity in this world right now. 
I wouldn't disagree with that at all, man. Social media is toxic at times and, and it drives me nuts. Steph, what do you have to add about the Antonio Brown situation? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like Chris again in, in this situation. I mean, great minds think alike, right? So um, definitely um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I think he's struggling. He's, he's having some mental health issues, whether it's CTE or, you know, people have been talking about bipolar or combination, right? Nobody truly knows how the mind works. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, when you see somebody so publicly, um, and to me, obviously struggling with things, it's, it's saddening, right? And, and rather than, especially on social media, people, um, talking about, positive things or trying to um raise up somebody who, who's you know clearly struggling in my mind um he's become the butt of a lot of jokes mm-hmm. and it is his own doing absolutely and a lot of the things chris talked about about him going on social media and throwing people under the bus and, and what have you that history of behavior and this most recent very very public situation it it makes him hard to be employable mm-hmm. in the nfl right your number one star is is going to be your qb and anybody that tries to you know upstage the qb uh, generally uh, doesn't fit in very well um and with him particularly can he play can he still play absolutely but my worry for him is somebody enabling him further to get away with bad behavior Mm -hmm. and to continue and not get the help that he needs um and and that's my concern with that situation it's sad because you and you and all of us here we we know people who are struggling with these issues Um, they, they may not be professional players um or they're former professional players who had a cup of tea or whatever right and we we all know somebody um who's who struggles with these things in our personal lives um, and former players and, and, and people that, uh, we played with and, it, and it's a serious issue. And, and I, I, I feel like it's become comedic and yeah. the, the rational person and the, the rational concern for somebody's well-being is lost in all of this. Um, so it, it's, it's sad to me. It's just sad that he's got this many issues and problems for somebody that's so talented that could potentially, like, you know, we rewind time about five years ago, he's easily the most dangerous receiver in the NFL. And, yes, he's won a Super Bowl since, and he's continued to play sort of bouncing back and forth and whatever. And But, yeah, it's just sad that that guy like that can't kind of keep it together or the people around him aren't doing what needs to happen to for him to get better. So talking some positive stuff, the NFL, obviously, this weekend is last weekend of the regular season, and we're going into the playoffs who do you guys think right now is kind of the most dangerous QBs going into the playoffs? I think the ones that are most dangerous to me are the ones that are finding their health, right? Like Mahomes hasn't been healthy all year, mm. but the Chiefs are still, you know, the AFC leader. And as he hits stride, I mean, that team's going to be dangerous. They've been dangerous even without him being at his peak best. Right. Um, so he sticks out. Um, a team like Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray finding his health again. Um, and Lamar Jackson, right? If if Baltimore can sneak in, mm-hmm. if he comes back healthy, I don't know what his timetable is, but I'm, I mean, he was an you know MVP of the league, right? And and so another guy that you know, um, if he if he is has his wheels, he is he is tough. 
is oh. tough. So those, those three are the ones that stick out. Those are three really hot quarterbacks right now, right? Or uh, not Lamar, but, you know, depending on if he comes back or, and how that all shakes out tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, those are dangerous QBs. Chris, who who do you think? Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I mean, he's – I I feel like he's playing at a phenomenal level right now. Um, I mean, obviously, he's an all-time great, you know, and uh, – yeah, I just I've been watching them in recent weeks. I I know that he's had a season that's had some controversy in it, and you know, like people, you know, don't some people don't like Aaron Rodgers. Some people, you know, they don't like his personality. They don't like his belief system. Whatever you name it. But I think at the end of the day, when he straps the pads on, and we're just talking about football, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. You know, there's just just no way to to kind of quantify it any other way. I mean, he's he's got the mental side of the game. He's got the uh, the tac, you know, kind of the the tactical side of the game. You know, the fundamentals. Like he he just he's got it. He's got it all. Certainly, in my eyes, I think the most dangerous quarterback. You know, after him, it would be like a Tom Brady, right? You yeah. know, um, and uh, and I think some of that is history, and some of that is you know kind of where they're playing right now. Um, I, I also think that, you know, um, and this is slightly off topic, but I think that Green Bay defense is just phenomenal, uh, especially when, again, they're they're playing with a lead. Yeah. Um, like their pass rush is just ferocious and their secondary is quite good. So, uh, you know, I just, I look at that team and I think, man, if they could, you know, make a run through the playoffs where they're more often than not playing with a lead, mm-hmm. whew, they're, they're going to be about as tough and out as any team in the NFL right now. So, um yeah, but uh, you know what? Honestly, um, you know, for for you, Aaron, I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, to Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, I think you know he's uh, he was tailor made for the Patriots this year. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, despite the fact that the Patriots, you know, did have a bit of a bump in their schedule, I guess essentially two to three weeks ago. Um, you know, they they picked up a couple losses there, but I think Mac Jones is as a rookie, he's played incredibly well all year and. I think he's a calm, cool, collective quarterback and, you know, just has all, all the right mental components to play in uh, close games and, uh, and to close out kind of tough, um, I guess, like emotionally stressful moments. Um, and you guys know, obviously, those moments are, are very common and happen very often in the playoffs, right? So I think despite the fact that he's a rookie, um, you know, the Patriots are the Patriots and they got the best coach in the NFL in my eyes and I'm phenomenal defense and he may be young, but you know, I think he's in theory, technically a pretty dangerous quarterback in his own right. Absolutely. He's definitely the best rookie quarterback in the NFL this year. And you're right. He plays for the best coach. He plays for a great OC. That's good with the quarterback and they're going to work with him. Right. And he, he's done good things all year. And, and the, the sky's the limit for them. Like the, getting him is it was huge for them you know it's it's totally the the next brady right like it, it's easy to see that when he's out there he doesn't have to do anything crazy he just plays the position he finds the open man and he puts the ball in the money like he, he's a good quarterback i totally agree with you uh both of you guys have, have really good guys that you're mentioning and and i think that it's going to be exciting to watch the the playoffs this year it's kind of uh, maybe a little bit more than than usual it's kind of like we don't really know what's going to happen yeah you know, the, the Packers are really good and yeah, Kansas city's really good. And the Bucks are really good, but maybe a Dallas or somebody else or Arizona, you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And a lot of really good quarterbacks, pretty much every QB that's in the playoffs is a stud QB right now, obviously. Right. So, you know, it'll be definitely interesting. 
But uh, gentlemen, unfortunately, we're at the end of the podcast. I want to thank you guys for being on tonight with me and kind of doing an impromptu session and really good to connect with you guys both. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, well, I, I can speak for myself anyway. I did. Steph is smiling, so he, at least he looks like he's having a good time. Good, good. Well, I mean, when I can get a word in edgewise, I mean, it's it's it was fun. It was awesome, as usual. You're right. Aaron talks a lot. <laughs> exactly who I was thinking of. How did you know? <laughs> Too funny. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank the audience who's listening. And next week, we got two great guests coming. Head coach from Oak Park High School, Chris Olson, and retiring head coach, Stu Nixon. So that's going to be a cool episode. So that's coming next for the fans. And uh, again, guys, I want to thank you for being on. It was an awesome time talking ball. And go Georgia. Go Georgia.